Welcome to today's episode. I'm sorry it's been so long since we've gotten one out to you guys. Um, Kyle's got a new job in the industry and he's busy with that and his family. And I am extremely busy working, running all over the state and the Midwest working. And so we just haven't had time to get one together. So on this one, I'm flying solo yet again. Uh, but that's okay, because hopefully we'll be able to get a couple episodes recorded for you guys soon with both Kyle and I. In today's episode, I want to talk about the situation in Ukraine, including how quickly emergencies can happen, lessons we can learn from it, and how those of us in the United States and around the world may be affected by the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. There's a lot that we're going to cover here. I'm going to try to keep it pretty short and sweet though, so please bear with me. This is a developing situation. I'm sitting here staring out at a landscape that is snowy and colder than Alaska, believe it or not, but half a world away, there are people dying right now and things are changing very, very quickly. And that's one of the things that I will talk about. To start off with, uh, back in the mid-90s, I was actually in Russia and Ukraine only a few years after the collapse of the USSR, for those of you who are old enough to remember that. Uh, I was traveling around. I did some construction work out there, mostly in small villages, but uh, a couple larger cities as well. And then I actually was part of a team that was constructing a boot camp to train their young people as well. Um, I even, I love the area. I even met a girl, kind of fell in love with her and thought I'd be back, but in the way of youth and love, it didn't happen. I've never been back to Russia since then, but it's always been in my heart. It's always had a, a spot that I've loved it. Um, I have loved the people. I loved the area. To me, it reminded me of California, agricultural California back in the day, uh, over 20 years ago now. But even when I was there, uh, there were some regions that had, shall we say, issues with Russian sympathizers who were battling uh, the Ukrainian government or Ukrainian governmental supporters. There were rumors going around that they were being funded by Russia and in fact later that was proven and still continues to be true that Russia wants Ukraine always has partially because it's sitting on a major body of water and when they lost Ukraine they lost some of their major ports uh, as well as some of the favorite um, vacation spots for the top officials of course. Uh, so they've always wanted wanted Ukraine, and they have funded terror attacks, if you will, or local violence to try to give themselves a reason to go back in as, as they did uh, a couple days ago, where they said, oh, we're only going into these two regions of Ukraine just to settle them down because there's too many riots and stuff going on. Yeah, right. Look where that led us. But there were all their issues while I was there, like crumbling infrastructure, because, you know, communist Russia didn't take very good care of the infrastructure of people that they didn't care about. Uh, lack of food, high inflation. The inflation was absolutely insane when I was there. 
The inflation was insane when I arrived there. It was about $15 to get 200,000 of their monetary units. And then it just kept going up from there. Uh, a little sandwich on the side of the road, though, would cost you 50,000 monetary units, for example, in Ukraine. So there was a lot of inflation, a lot of... Um, a lot of people trying to get money however they could. It was really tight. The main diet for many Ukrainians when I was there was bread, cheese, and fruit for their kind of daily meals, their lunches, and even their dinners, um, sometimes supplemented with other things like grains and, and whatever else, occasionally, very occasionally, meat. The medical system was horrible. The everything, <laughs> everything was having trouble. But I made friends, I got to see a lot of the country and and I was in contact with uh, Russian forces as well. And it was amazing to me how the Russians were always kind of on the border, almost like a North Korea, South Korea thing. They've always had troops on the border and they were very uptight about anyone taking pictures or anything like that, passing on information. So this is not really a surprise when we hear about the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. But while I was there, as I mentioned, I made some friends and stuff, and, and I've kept in touch with a few of them over the years. And one of my friends named Lilia... Uh, and her family, they were displaced by Russia when they invaded in 2014. Some people forget that Russia's actually invaded Ukraine before. This happened under Obama. And unfortunately, my friend and her family lost their business. They lost their home. They lost some family members during that supposed minor incursion. And they were forced to flee without a whole lot of notice. They had a couple days that they had to get out, basically. And eventually they relocated to a small village about 25 miles outside of Kiev. They had to completely rebuild their lives from scratch in 2014, 2015, when they finally settled in. And then they hear again that Russia's working around the borders of Ukraine and invading a couple of the outside provinces, if you will, the outside edges of it. And they went to bed with that, thinking, well, okay, this is another minor incursion, perhaps. We should be fine. Um, they said they weren't thinking about anything. And then, for those who are paying attention to the news, Russia did a full-scale invasion of Ukraine yesterday, our time last night. And when I say full-scale invasion, it's the largest attack by any country on any other country since World War II. Land, sea, air, uh, they were firing rockets, they invaded with tanks and military forces, the Spetsnaz special forces were dropped into a couple of strategic locations to secure them for the Russians. They are taking over any airports, they're taking over strategic locations, and when my friend's family woke up, it was a full-scale invasion 
including an amphibious assault pretty near their home as the Russians tried to take the capital from all sides. They still felt fairly safe this morning. There were a lot when I talked to them. My phone's been blown up all day, by the way, from friends that I have there as well as people here in the U.S. asking me what's going on and a couple overseas people saying, you know, what should we do and everything else. So um, it's gathering intelligence as we go along. But they told me that this morning they felt fairly safe. They weren't sure what was going on, but they thought they might stay where they were. They had their community. They had their family there. They had work there. And then less than a handful of hours later, they have heard that civilians are just being killed by the Russians, whether they're combatants or not. And they've decided that they're going to try to flee to Hungary with their family. Now, they're joining a long line of people that are already trying to get into Hungary. As of last night, I think it was, there were some people that were already arriving in Hungary and they were kind of being stopped on the border. And do you have friends here? Do you know anybody? You know, and they had to kind of wait for people to come say, yes, I know this person. They're coming to visit me. I've heard that Hungary is relenting on that somewhat now that there's a full-scale invasion. But... um my friend's family is going to have about 16 to 18 hours under normal circumstances of travel, and this is far from normal. There were huge lines of vehicles traveling away from the major areas of incursion. Um, some of them are going nearby cities. Some of them are just going further into the country. There's really no sense of cohesion of where is safe and where they can go right now, though couple other things that have happened uh, that are that's worth thinking about. Yesterday, Ukraine passed a law that private citizens can keep and carry guns in public. This is new. Uh, Ukrainians weren't really prohibited from owning all firearms, although they did have a lot of gun laws in place. But they were able to keep them in their private homes. However, as of Wednesday, the administration, the government of Ukraine made it official. You can keep and carry your guns with you in public or whatever you want to do. And within a matter of hours, every gun store in the country had been sold out. Didn't matter whether they're military guns, hunting guns, whatever. Guns and ammo were gone in a matter of hours after that being passed. And it's not just like that's something new because for the last month or two, at least, there have been uh, military units that have been sent out and were seeking volunteer citizens to attend training programs, whether that was casualty care, whether that was urban combat, whether that was just simply firearm safety. They've been out, the troops have been out actually training the citizenry who wanted to learn on how to take care of things in a wartime situation. This has been going on for, like I said, a month or two at least. And it's because they knew this was happening, that, that this was a potential invasion months ago as Russia was massing troops on the border and lying about it the whole time, essentially. So that's kind of what's going on right now. That's what's going on with my family or my friend's family that I'm aware of 
and kind of the first-hand knowledge that I have over there. Again, I'm not over there currently. I haven't been there in a while, but this is coming from people that I do still know there that it's a bad situation. People are fleeing every which way, and according to them, they've heard that Russians are just killing any Ukrainians they find, whether they're civilians, military, police, government, whatever. Clearly, they're not going to just kill everyone in the country because that defeats the purpose, but it's still a dangerous time right now. So what can we learn from this? Here's a couple things just based on what I've talked about and what this, my friend's family has gone through and some of my other friends there have gone through. First of all, just because you've had a bad emergency doesn't mean you won't have another one. And this is where I believe that a lot of people need to take the experience that they've learned from one situation and apply it to their lives. So if it ever comes up again, you're more prepared for that same situation or a similar situation as it arises once again. Secondly, emergencies can happen literally at any time with or without warning. And they can go from bad to worse just as quickly. If we got noticed that, oh, this, you know, this catastrophe is going to happen, well, we'd prepare for it ahead of time. But my voice right now should be the one telling you, you need to get prepared for catastrophes to happen. My friend's family went to bed last night and they had heard, well, there's kind of a rumor of war across the country. It won't touch us over here in the center. And then they woke up to missiles raining down and bombs exploding and tanks and troops and everything else going on. And then a huge, huge, huge line of evacuees leaving the capital city of Kiev as the Russians were sweeping into it and killing people along the way. And it clogged every travel route out of Kiev, away from Kiev, which is the capital city in Ukraine. And that includes small villages that would normally have a single lane of traffic through or of road through, and that is packed. People are driving on shoulders. People are driving across fields. They are just trying to get away. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to preserve their lives. And so if you are taking time to think about a situation those people are getting ahead of you and that means that you could face clogged roads in the future or whatever by the time you decide to leave so if you've seen the news you may have seen that there were this morning in the united states there were pictures floating around of these clogged freeways every lane used of people just trying to drive away from kiev and so while it may take 16 hours to get into Hungary from Kiev normally, or 17 hours-ish, um, with that many people bumper to bumper and stopped, and now you got to add in accidents and broken down vehicles and everything else going on, it's going to take a lot longer to get there if you can get there. So another thing to, to learn from this situation in Ukraine is hesitation can kill. If you wait too long to leave a situation, you may be stuck in that situation with literally nowhere to go. 
again, I've, I've had some reports of people driving through fields cross country and vehicles that were not designed for it, just trying to get away. And of course, this leads to broken down vehicles and other things. But people don't care. They are just fleeing for their lives. So if you are one of those people who wants to wait and see what can happen or, yeah, okay, now things are getting bad. Now maybe we need to start packing. You might be behind that curve. You might be at the back of the pack behind all those people, behind all the broken down vehicles, behind all the abandoned vehicles with the bullets coming at you from the back as you try to leave. Sometimes it may be better to prepare to flee even if you don't think it will be necessary. I've gone over this time and time and time again with people. If you think there might be a reason to get out of Dodge, prepare to get out of Dodge first. That way, if you need to leave immediately, and some people say, well, what happens if you have 10 minutes? What happens if you have an hour? What happens if you have a day? Use that time to prepare to get out. Because it's much easier to jump in your vehicle, turn the key, and try to drive away than say, okay, now we need to leave. Now let's take the time to start preparing things. That's not going to happen with an invasion, with an invading army. That's not going to happen if there's a wildfire coming through. You may not have that time to prepare. Sometimes it'll be, okay, now I just have to turn the key and leave, whether I have the things that I would want or not. So it's much better to prepare in advance. And unfortunately for my friend's family, they didn't think it was going to be necessary because everyone kept telling them, oh, it's fine, it'll be fine. If it happens, it'll be at the borders first and then maybe move inland or whatever. And they haven't been prepared for it. They thought about it, but they hadn't actually started packing or anything. So sometimes might be a good idea just to have everything set so that when you decide it's time to bug out, then you can go. It also shows the importance of keeping and bearing arms. Weapons, guns are not just for hunting, despite what you may hear sometimes. They're not just, well, nobody needs a 30-round magazine for hunting. No, you're right, but it's, our guns are not just for hunting. They're for personal protection. They're for protecting our home, our neighborhood, our city, our state, even if our country is ne if necessary. That's what firearms are for. That's why they are written into the Constitution and the Second Amendment. Um, that's why they have been written in and codified in law time and time again when, whenever politicians decide to do that. Because it's not just about hunting. It is about can I defend myself? Can I defend my loved ones? Can I defend my country even if necessary? Again, Ukraine's saying, okay, if you can make it to one of our armories, we'll just hand you a weapon that you can use to defend our country with or defend yourself with. But for many people, it's already too late. There is a concern right now that Ukraine will start conscripting people, uh, some of the refugees, the early refugees into Hungary have said that they're taking their teenage sons with them and stuff because they're worried that Ukraine will try to conscript them into the armed forces. But there are many more people that are saying, no, this is my home. I will stand up and defend it. Yes, they're going up against 
modern tanks and missiles and planes and helicopters and things like that. But they're not going up against it alone. The Ukrainian military is fighting. They're taking on some of the bigger threats. And let's just ask Russia what happened in Afghanistan if they believe that their tanks are going to be able to roll over citizenry who are armed and fighting for their homes, fighting for their lives, fighting for their freedoms. So with Ukraine offering to hand out modern military weapons to anyone who is willing to fight and the potential for conscription, which we'll see in the future, a draft, if you will, of calling up anyone who's able or willing to fight, um, this is part of having the tools to defend yourself. Do you really want to maybe be handed a rifle by the government and have no idea how to use it or be shown the very basics of it for the first time if it's a situation where you actually have to defend yourself. That's why now is the time to start getting the tools that you need and training with them while they are still legal to own and use and carry. Something else to learn, I think the last thing on the the things to learn column here is when there's impending violence, you won't find guns or ammo at that point, <laughs> unless you're really lucky. Uh, look at the last couple of years here in the United States. Yes, we had COVID and everything else, but I think a lot of the guns and the ammo went to people who were saying, oh my gosh, look at all these riots. Yeah, no, they're not mostly peaceful protests, okay? There were riots. There were cities being burned down. There were people being murdered by these so-called peaceful protesters or mostly peaceful protesters. I know there were peaceful protests, don't get me wrong, but come nighttime a lot of times, those protesters went home and the looters and the rioters began to come out if they weren't there the whole time. So I think that's what happened, a big part of what happened over the last couple years. But when you look at Ukraine, after Ukraine said, hey, you can own guns, you can carry guns in public now, all the stores in the country sold out within hours. From shotguns to hunting rifles to military-style guns. Didn't matter. They were all sold out of guns and ammo within a matter of hours in the entire country once they were allowed to own and carry them. Because people knew that they might have to defend themselves and depend on themselves, that there were going to be circumstances where the government can't be relied on. The police are not going to be responding to your 911 call if it's in the middle of a war zone. Or, in some cases, as in the case of Seattle and the, the kid who had a guy point a rifle at him the other day and called the police, police never arrived. So even in good times, or relatively good times, you still can't depend on other people to defend you. So if you are expecting, well, I'll wait until things get bad and then go to the store and then I'll pick up my whatever it is, my ammo, my gun, my holster, my whatever, it may not be there. And it's not just guns either. If you're saying, you know what, I'll wait until things get really bad and then I'll go pick up some freeze-dried food or some rice or that extra gallon of milk or whatever, 
you might not have the opportunity to do so because you're going to be competing with other people who are thinking the same way and smart people who get there first are going to get what they want and you will be left with what's left if there is anything. We see it here in the Midwest every time there's a big winter storm. Every time there's a big winter storm. And there's some people that say, oh my gosh, now I got to get ice melt for my driveway and now I've got to get... Um, you know, that last gallon of milk. Now I've got to get whatever. Now I got to fill up with gas. Guess what? Everyone else has already done it first or not everyone, but a lot of other people have already done it. All right, let's transition into what the Ukrainian invasion could mean for us here in the United States as well as around the world, but I'm going to focus primarily here in the United States. This is where I've been getting a lot of my questions from lately. Uh, my phone's been blown up, like I said. Some of it's from people overseas. A lot of it's from here in the United States. And people are saying, oh my gosh, what do I do? How do we prepare? Is this real? Which is something to think about. If you're spending time thinking, oh my gosh, is this real? You're not utilizing your time for what you should be doing, which is preparing things. So... I'm not a fortune teller. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't ascribe to tarot cards or anything. But here's what I think we could see and probably will see. First of all, the gas prices are going to go up. They just are. They were already going up before this happened. They will go up again. We get a lot of gas from Russia and the surrounding areas, including through and around the Black Sea. And since Russia has military boats and ships out there, um, we're going to see a shortage of fuel. Yes, we've got OPEC. Yes, I'm sure there's somebody talking to OPEC through back channels saying, hey, can we get extra gas? We're worried about what's going to happen, etc., etc. OPEC doesn't have to give us fuel, which is one of the reasons why many people argue for energy independence which we achieved under our former president for the first time since I think it was the 40s or the 50s. Um, and then we have our current administration that moved in and canceled some of those projects, and we are now importing fuel again, which means we're at the mercy of these overseas incidents and entities. Now, from a person who works... In a fuel or for a fuel company, uh, I've been told that they are being told expect $5 a gallon or more. Some people are saying possibly $7 a gallon by the summer. It really, really just depends. Uh, it depends on how quickly other nations act. It depends on whether we face something like another OPEC embargo. It depends on where our fuel comes from, but you will see gas prices increase, guaranteed just because we buy so much fuel and oil from Russia and the surrounding countries. Another thing you're going to see is shortages on almost everything. Um, not just from Ukraine, but neighboring countries in Europe, partially because they're now going to be worried about, okay, what's happening around us? What are we going to face? Can we supply for ourselves? And they're going to be stockpiling their own stuff, not just private citizens, but the governments. They're going to be looking inward saying, what do we need? And maybe we should keep this for ourselves instead of selling surpluses or whatever. So we're going to see uh, shortages from that. We're going to see supply chain issues. 
first of all, we're already having supply chain issues thanks to COVID and so many of the governments in the world, not just the U.S., shutting down uh, manufacturing and transportation and everything else. We, we're seeing a huge shortage already with supply chain issues um, being part of the reason for those. And this isn't going to be just because of Ukraine. It will be because neighboring countries, again, may not supply. They may not be able to. If there are two countries fighting in your next door, you're probably going to be hesitant about sending airliners or ships or whatever full of goods over to an area that you don't have control over because you don't know what's going to happen to those. Um, also, we've got the two freedom convoys going. The one in the U.S. just kicked off. Um, there is always the potential for war in Europe and, and even a world war, which we'll get into, but that can cause supply chain issues. I do suspect that we will, unfortunately, start seeing an increased demand for guns, ammo, food, etc. Now, I don't expect this to happen right away, at least not here in the U.S. Obviously, Ukraine, <laughs> that's a whole nother story. Poland, whole nother story. But here in the U.S., I am expecting that we will see a an increased demand. Guns and ammo are just starting to come back, at least in my area, and prices are starting to come down a little bit, but I'm expecting that we are going to see an increased demand, which means even more shortage due to the shortage and the supply chain issues and the increased demand yet again. Now, here's where I think we may have some time, at least in the U.S., on this, because a lot of Americans are very reactionary. Uh, you look at the big toilet paper shortage due to COVID scare and everything like that. Um, most people are not proactive about that. So if you're listening to my voice right now, tonight, you've still got some time, I believe. There will be people that will wait until they get home and on the evening news, they'll hear about the Russian invasion because they haven't heard it yet. And they'll say, oh, okay, well, maybe I should stock up and get an extra whatever. Um, maybe I should go buy an extra box of ammo or, or whatever. Other people, it will take days, maybe weeks before they hear about this and then start to think about themselves and what could happen to them. And then there will be a lot of people that will wait until they see the guns and the ammo disappearing and then they'll panic and then they'll start buying up whatever they can find, just like happened two years ago, just like happened eight years ago, and so on and so forth. So... It will take some time for the news to filter through to some people. You do have some time on that, but I, I do believe we'll see an increased demand for guns, ammo, and food. Maybe not as bad as it was, but I do believe that we will see an increased demand from that. Um, if you are a student of history, you probably have learned how quickly neighboring countries or... Other countries can start choosing sides, and that can escalate into embargoes, cutting supplies, or even outright war. This is how we've seen it happen in World War I and II. This is how we saw it happen in Afghanistan. There were a lot of countries involved in Afghanistan and Iraq and the Middle East that didn't have anything really to do with it, any personal stake per se, and got involved anyway because they supported allies who chose to invade or whatever. 
So being a student of history, I don't think it's entirely unlikely that we will see some level of increased support for countries overseas, even though right now there is more of a hands-off approach to Ukraine. I can see where if Russia doesn't satisfy itself with Ukraine and starts involving itself with our NATO allies or our NATO allies get involved in Ukraine, then we would be dragged along with them. And under Article 4 and 5. And I, I do see where we could run into an issue with decreased supplies due to supporting a military effort overseas. God forbid we get involved in an actual war again, world war especially, but I don't think it's entirely out of the realm of possibility. Being a student of history, if you've learned that and you've seen that as I have, then you know that things can escalate and all of a sudden we could be facing even more shortages as companies just outright embargo sending supplies to the U.S. because we support such and such and so on and so forth. So that's something to be aware of. So that's my thoughts on what's happening in Ukraine and lessons we can learn from that. But even though Ukraine's on my mind, especially because I do have ties to it and some of the people there, there are other threats that we should be thinking about right now at this time of year in the United States, especially. Uh, or my neighbors in Canada. <laughs> uh, first of all, we've got the so-called freedom convoys, the truckers that have been driving across the country and blocking roads and locking down cities and so on and so forth. And that is something to consider. I personally believe that, yeah, they need our support. Great. I, I think that what they're doing in theory is great. But if it's your city that they're in and locking down because they're blocking all the roads, then it doesn't really help you out a whole lot. So you need to watch out for that. You need to be prepared for that. A couple other things with these convoys. I do believe that we will see... Increase in violence, at least here in the United States. I understand in Canada that there was some police violence against the protesters, much of which was unwarranted from what I've seen, but I don't know the whole story. I haven't been following it along, and I don't live there to pay attention to what's happening on a daily basis. But uh, I do believe that here in the United States, at least, we will see... In, an increase in violence along the route of these freedom convoys as we have some people who are so rabidly opposed to just the concept <laughs> of people expressing their own views that are contrary to what the other people may believe that I do believe we'll see violence against those in the freedom convoy. And right now it's a small amount of actual semi-trucks that are involved in the Freedom Convoy, and there's a lot more of just everyday citizens and their minivans and their cars and their pickup trucks and their RVs and such. Um, it's actually kind of a beautiful thing to see if you haven't seen any of the videos of these miles of, of Americans saying, yeah, we believe in this so strongly, we're going to stand up for it like this. But I do believe that that will cause some violence, especially in some areas of the country. 
do believe that we will see an increase in violence in the country as we start heading into nicer weather as well. A lot of these riots and and so-called protests that have been going on the last couple of years, they're not going to go away. They've been put on hold in some areas of the country just based on how frigid of a winter we've had in some parts. But in nice weather, there's going to be a higher likelihood that we are going to see increased riots and protests and things like that again. They've gone on the last two years in many areas of the country. There hasn't been any concerted effort to stop them. Therefore, there's no reason to not continue them. Inflation. Inflation is happening. It is not a temporary thing, despite what our current president may have said or his mouthpieces may have said, inflation is a very real thing. And inflation means that things are going to cost more. Your dollar is worth less. Great, you got a 5% raise at work maybe this year, but if everything costs 8, 9, 10% more or double or triple of what it used to, your dollar is not going as far. So inflation is a big thing to watch out for and prepare for. That means maybe putting some things aside and investing in things now that might be worth more in the future. If there's something you need, you might want to get it now and not wait because people are going to have less and less money to spend and things are going to cost more. We're already seeing it due to inflation. We're seeing it due to the increase in materials cost as well as shortages of certain materials like computer chips and things like that that are causing so many of the used cars to just skyrocket right now. In closing, and I told you guys this would be short, so I tried to keep it short, but in closing, make sure that you prepare now. Whether it's for possible war, whether it's for inflation, whether it's for shortages of fuel, whatever it is, make sure you prepare now so you're not the one who's at that back of the line trying to get out of Kiev and be the last person out when everyone else is already ahead of you. This is the time to prepare. Now is the time to do it. I'm not saying put yourself in debt or anything because I think that that's a whole other issue to worry about, but... Make sure you're preparing now. And one of the ways in which you can prepare is get some cash on hand. I've heard from several people lately that when they go into the bank to pull cash out, the bank either says you can't take that much cash, we don't have that much on hand, or we don't have those denominations of bills, or you're limited to how much you can take out just so we don't have a huge run. So if the banks are already short on cash, you should make sure you keep some on hand just in case you need it all right guys that wraps it up for today thank you very much for joining me i will talk to you guys in march have a great day stay safe and welcome to bullets beans and band-aids where we talk about guns preparedness and keeping yourself and your loved ones safe in the real world Everyone is welcome. Take what you can and feel free to leave the rest. If you'd like to join the conversation, stay tuned until the end to find out how. But for now, let's join our hosts, Kyle and Jeremy. Jeremy.
That's it for this week, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to come back next week for part two of the discussion on buying your first firearm, where we specifically discuss rifles and shotguns. Also, please take a moment to rate us on whatever podcast platform you're using to listen to us on. It really helps other people discover us. If you know of someone specifically who might benefit from this episode, feel free to share it with them. And if you'd like to join the conversation, send us an audio message on the Anchor app or visit anchor.fm forward slash guns and survival forward slash message. We'll talk with you soon. Stay safe and survive.